morning to you, barely. <laughs> Angel said, in 30 years, we get to go on a cruise. And I don't know, I might be somewhere else in 30 years, I don't know. Make a cruise look like nothing. We started, Kelly and I did a quick calculation, you know, it's, it ain't 30 years. It's a lot shorter than that. A little shorter for her than me, too. That's right. I'm a younger man. <laughs> Speaking of young man, I had a scare in the great room this morning as I was greeting one of our guests today who proceeded to tell me how they know me. I said, oh, yeah. I went to school with you. So immediately I thought, oh, no. Because <laughs> only Bible college was the one that I would be not, I would be like, okay. But all the rest of them is more of an oh, no. And it was the worst oh, no of all the oh, no's. So Bible Baptist in my junior high days. <laughs> I only went there one year. Turns out they didn't let me come back again after my one year. We proceeded to talk a little bit and share stories of this individual may have not known exactly what I knew, but I knew back in those days there was a paddle that hung in the principal's office, and it even applied to junior high, and it applied to me many times, many times in my days there. So I don't know, brother, you know who you are. I don't know if you ever experienced the blessing and the discipline of that establishment, but I certainly did has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I'm testifying that God's brought me a long way. How about that? <laughs> He's still working on me, but, uh, you know, brought me a long way from then. Man, those were hard days back then. I'm, my mind is just, oh, my goodness. I need to go into prayer or something. I'd call, call the prayer team back up. I'm going to come down, worship team. I mean, I... <laughs> Which brings me to our topic of our new sermon series, the promise of deliverance, amen. I've been delivered from those days. <laughs> oh, thank the Lord. Listen, today we start this new sermon series, the promise of deliverance. Last month, it was the, pro your, the year of the promise as we kind of went all over this story of the Israelites and uh, Moses and different segments of this narrative of the promises of God that was found in that story. Beginning this month, we'll kind of hone in, we'll focus a little bit more on very specific pieces or elements of that narrative. Here at Greater Life, we believe that the whole of Scripture is good for teaching we believe that the Bible, cover to, go, cover to cover, is inspired by God. It is inerrant, it is without error, and it's our responsibility and our opportunity to explore what God is saying in the text. Today, with the promise of deliverance, we have a sermon titled, The Rise and Fall of Moses, the Rise and Fall of Moses, Moses being the 
one whom God used to bring deliverance to the Israelite people from Egypt. In the 15th century, a man named Leonardo da Vinci, an artist, philosopher, inventor, endeavored to do one of his greatest works called The Last Supper. And as he began to make his plan of painting this painting, The Last Supper, he thought to himself that he would like to find a model for each of the characters, Jesus and the disciples, in this painting. One Sunday morning as he was in mass, he looked up in the choir loft and he found a young man there who he thought looked like Jesus would have looked. He approached this young man, invited him to come to his studio and begin to paint. As he painted Jesus, this young man to, as the character of Jesus in the Last Supper, it took him three days to complete the painting. After that, he went on to trying to find the disciples and painting them on either side of Jesus. If you know the painting, you're familiar with the layout. Well, he found Matthew, James, John right away. And then over the next 11 months, he would find a model for each one of the disciples for 11 disciples. But the last one brought some challenges. He got to Judas Iscariot, who is placed on the end of the table in the painting, and could not find a model that he thought looked like Judas Iscariot. And so he walked the streets of Milan hours on end each day, scanning the faces of men, hoping to find someone that would resonate with him and that it would click, but he didn't have any success until... 11 years later, he came across a man as he was in the streets with a face that had a harshness about it. There was a hardness in his eyes. There was certainly evidence, at least from his appearance, that he had had a hard life. He invited this man to come to his studio and sat him down and began to paint Judas Iscariot into the painting. A couple of hours went by. The model, the man that he was painting, began to cry and weep. Leonardo da Vinci stopped because this was very odd and said, is there anything that I've done? Did I offend you? Did I hurt you? What's happening? Can I help you? And the man, through the tears, said, Master, do you not recognize me? He said, I'm sorry, I don't think we've ever met. I don't recognize you. And the man went on to say that 11 years ago, I posed for you as Jesus. You see, within all of us, we have great times of our life, and then we have times of our life that are not so great. <laughs> And depending on who you run into that day in the street, they may see Jesus in you or they may see someone who's broken and hard and harsh. Moses' life is one of ups and downs. Today we'll start with the beginning of his life, but 
Moses' life is one, depending on when he was encountered, could have been one of great joy and great comfort, could have been one of great suffering and great pain because the face, the appearance, at least to Leonardo da Vinci, said everything about this man. To consider that one man in the span of 11 years to this renowned artist looked from, went from looking like Jesus to looking like the one who betrayed Jesus. Same man. It's a reminder for us today that our lives will have windows where maybe we look like we've got it all together and maybe we don't. The rise and fall of Moses is a story not only of Moses, but of a nation named Egypt. A nation that was very powerful in those days. A world power, a superpower, if we were to be able to relate it to our modern terminology. Egypt was the nation that would shoot down balloons quickly. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was doing so good. <laughs> I need my principal again. Like, <sighs> and now we got to work hard to get back on track. It, I, something in my mind said, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And then I said it. Now it's too late. Anyway, Egypt was a nation that no one would mess with. They were wealthy. They were prominent. They were powerful. Yet Egypt also had fears of its own enemies. We look at the rise and fall of Moses beginning in Exodus chapter 1. If you're taking notes, number one is born into danger. Let's pray real quick. Lord Jesus, have your way. Help us to discover what you want us to hear and to see and to apply to our lives today. May you steer our conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 1, number 1, born into danger. Born into danger. Exodus 1, verse, beginning in verse 5. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending the entire generation, but their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and if war breaks out, they will join the, our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians, verse 11, made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. The Egyptians had a single Goal under Pharaoh's command to keep the Israelites so busy doing what they wanted them to do that they could not concentrate on what God wanted them to do. However, the Lord was in their hardship. 
The Lord's preparing them for something. We find Pharaoh dangerous minds. He had fear of the Israelites. A mind that has forgotten God in his hand in the generation before. When you read in the book of Judges, you find later in the Israelite history, later in the Hebrew nation, that the book of Judges tells us that the parents had dropped the ball on telling their children about God. And in one generation, they had forgotten of his goodness and his miracles. And things changed. Here we find that Pharaoh had forgotten about Joseph who saved the nation and the Hebrews who had the favor of Pharaoh in, one, in these generations that had passed, they find themselves forgotten. Pharaoh had forgotten the God that sent Joseph to save them. And this new king had nothing to do with that God, the God, the one true God. Finding this to be the case, they made them slaves. And in verse 12, we find a dangerous environment. Verse 12, the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and to make bricks and to do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. We need to understand something that while these verses are only a few sentences long, there is a significant period of time that's happening. There's generations that are passing. Because the Israelite people were there for over 400 years. We know that these things didn't just, well, this week it's rough for you and then next week it's a little harder for you. It says that their lives were made bitter by the Egyptians out of fear. What if you knew as a parent that if you would just work hard, if you would just do and be obedient, do what, live in your situation and trust that God in the next generation will bring blessing to your children, to your children's children. It certainly takes a perspective shift in your mind, doesn't it? You see, the Egyptians were not just trying to destroy the Israelites before him, they were just trying to destroy the nation and the generations that were following they didn't want to just make mom and dad bitter. They wanted to make their sons and their daughters bitter, their grandsons and their granddaughters bitter. They wanted to take the hope away, not just from that generation, but every generation to follow. But God knew what he was doing. Born into danger. The third thing we find, and this is the most troubling of all, Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. Slavery hadn't shut down Israel from growing and thriving. The brutality and the merciless behavior that the Egyptians were putting upon the Israelites did not keep them from growing and, and, and populating that nation. The third thing Pharaoh endeavored to do in verse 15, then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, Watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. 
You see, Pharaoh went beyond just oppression and slavery and ruthlessness to those that were there. He now wanted to kill any potential that they had in the future. Unfortunately, for decades now, our nation has been caught up in the practice of killing of babies. And even now, in most recent days, laws are being passed where it doesn't even matter if the baby was born, it's still considered an abortion. That a botched abortion, an abortion that didn't work, there are places in our nation that you are outlawed. Doctors are now outlawed to offer any help to this child. You see, we sometimes think that the evil today is something new. Thousands and thousands of years ago, a Pharaoh sat upon a throne and said, kill every baby boy that you see. But that wasn't enough. It was a dangerous mindset that he set forth. So what happened? Verse 17, we see that the midwives feared God. They refused to obey the king's orders and allowed the boys to live too. So even when the enemy of God's people is doing everything that they can, murder, slavery, oppression, brutality, even in the middle of all of that, God's plan is still being accomplished. And it doesn't look like it. They're still in slavery. They're still oppressed. But God's plan is still being accomplished. Amen? Number two, now we get to Moses in just a few moments. Born into miraculous safety. Born into miraculous safety. Beginning in verse 17, we see these midwives. They allowed the boys to live too. And in verse 18, so the king of Egypt called for the midwives. What? Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. The midwives replied, they are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it's certainly what they said. So God was good to the midwives. Midwives were midwives because they couldn't have children on their own back in those days. Watch what God does. God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Sometimes we miss these sideline blessings that happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? We read the, the, the subject of the story is the Israelites and Pharaoh and Moses, but we sometimes forget that in the midst of God blessing his people, protecting his people, doing great things for his people, the midwives are over here also getting blessed. I've said it many times, your blessing may not only be for you, it's for those around you as well. So number two, born in miraculous safety, we continue Verse 21, because midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. 
but but you may let the girls live. Friends, he didn't just command the Hebrew midwives to do it in secret anymore. He gave permission for every Egyptian citizen to now go and steal babies from these Hebrew women and throw them, cast them into the Nile River. So Pharaoh's disdain for human life has now spread throughout the nation, you see. But even in all of that, these babies screaming and crying out that are being tossed into the Nile, even in all of that, God's plan is being accomplished. We get sometimes flustered because the restaurant messed up our order. Oh God, how can I live in these conditions? I woke up the other day in my house and somebody had switched the heat over to cool. And so it didn't kick on in the night. And when I woke up, 63 degrees in my house. <laughs> Walk back to bed. Oh, help me survive this, Lord. We don't even know what struggle is, do we? Here these Hebrew women are, they take, they're ripping these babies out of their arms and killing them. And yes, somehow, some way, they're still crying out to God. We'll find out later. So many times we're quick to turn our fists to God. God, why you? We forget that it's Pharaoh. We forget that it's the enemy. Number two, born into miraculous safety, the miracle of the midwives. They listened to God, feared God. Then we find the miracle of the basket, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. If babies are thrown into the Nile and being murdered, then wouldn't it make sense that you would never, ever, ever put your baby in the Nile if you wanted them to live? Yet God confounds the wisdom of men and does unique things. Catch this. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Normally, that would be a cause for celebration. But she knew that that son was going to be killed if somebody found him. She saw that he was a special baby, kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of where? The Nile River. Babies are literally being tossed in the Nile to kill them. And she puts a baby in the Nile River. But there's a difference because this child is in a container, in a basket. What is the miracle of the basket? The miracle of the basket is that there was a season where this baby was protected to get from point A to point B. The Bible tells us that man plans in his heart what he is to do, but God directs his steps. 
And so I don't know what God's placed in your heart or what promise you may, be, you may have from him, but I'm telling you right now that you just need to trust him with the details in the process because you cannot make it happen, but you can trust him to make it happen on your behalf, amen? And there may be a season where you're in this basket in the very atmosphere of destruction and death and the world's falling apart around you, but God has got you. That's for somebody. That's for me. I'll take it. Born into miraculous safety. Miraculous safety. Thirdly, the miracle of adoption. Exodus chapter 2, verse 5 through 10. Exodus chapter 2, verse 5 through 10. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the river bank when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. Now, if we're watching this as a movie, right? We see Pharaoh in the courts, kill these babies, ah! His daughter, the princess, is over there eating soup or something. Oh, they probably didn't eat soup in Egypt, cold soup. It was hot. And the princess, oh yeah, yeah, Hebrews, uh, you picture it with me? Is it just me? This is the way my mind works. If your mind doesn't work like this, you still have to wait for me to get to the next thing. It's okay. She agrees with everything that's happening because that's her family. That's, that's Pharaoh. She's loyal to that. And I don't know about you, but there would be anyone, I'd rather anybody else find Moses than the princess. Right? But what happens? <laughs> she finds him, then the baby when the princess opened it, the basket, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. She felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. There's no confusion in the matter. This is one that's supposed to be killed. So theoretically, she should just tip the basket over. But God did something in the princess. He gave favor where only God could give favor. Because Moses was not able to give a great dissertation or speech. Oh, princess of Pharaoh in Egypt, hear me out. I am called to be the deliverer. Oh, no, but God gave favor where only God could give favor. And here's, oh, I love the details of this part of the story. So I'm, I'm, I'm here for a little bit longer than I should be, but I like it. It's fun. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yeah. Do that, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, you will nurse this baby for me. I just picture the mother saying, well, I mean, you know, if I have to, right? She's, she's crying as she's placing the basket. Come on, come on, go there with me. She's placing the basket and weeping and crying, God, please protect my child. The basket goes out of the distance it's not long, a few hours probably, that, uh, hey, 
we found this. Would you nurse this baby for us? <laughs> I mean, I, would, I couldn't hold my composure together. I mean, the, prince, the mother's probably, the princess is probably like, you know, not only that, but because I'm asking you to do this, how about I pay you for your inconvenience? Take this baby. I will pay you for your help. In a moment, the miracle baby is saved and given back to mom. Now, what does mom do? Mom nurses the baby and now gets paid to do so, which means she's not making bricks. Amen. Come on. I want to be, I know it's selfish, Lord, I'm going to say it out front. I want to be like Moses in the sense that favor happens and it can't be explained. Do you? I, I want to be like Moses where I'm going to do what I'm doing anyway, but now I'm getting paid for it and blessed for it. And things are happening. And I'm in a basket protected when everything around the Nile River is death and destruction, but I'm just floating along in God's protection. I want to I wanna see that in my own life. Do you? Is anybody with me today, man? If you walked in here with garbage and pain and suffering and you want to see the promise of deliverance happen in your life, do you want to be like that? I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled the details that God pays attention to and makes happen in our lives. Not only was she able to nurse Moses, but she was able to teach Moses about the God of Israel. She was able to teach him as she's nursing and raising him in those early years of his life. She was able to help him know who he really is. So later when he goes into the house of Pharaoh, and begins to learn the ways of the Egyptians and the gods of the Egyptians and the education of the Egyptians and the leadership structure of the Egyptians. Later as he's in there, something has already been planted in his life that will never fade away, that he knows who his God is. He knows what his true identity is. And there's a miracle of adoption that happens that sets Moses aside and creates within him all that he needs to do what God's called him to do later in life. Number three, from blessed to banished. The blessing of Pharaoh, Exodus 2, verse 11, it simply says, many years later when Moses had grown up, we find that he is in the household of Pharaoh. He is in royal places. His education is the best in the world. There's by far the best animated movie that, one of the best animated movies that I've ever seen is this movie called The Prince of Egypt. Man, I, somebody told me in between services, I gotta go and find it in my, in my closet and watch it. So I'm probably gonna watch it. We're gonna watch it today, Kelly. I'm gonna watch it today. But there's this scene where he's talking to the bush and, 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 and Moses is kind of like, you know, what's up, man? You know, I, I don't know. I don't wanna do it. And then the bush goes, I am. I got to see that scene. It's going to be awesome. If I was really good, I could have it on the screen. But Kevin, don't worry about it. You're, you're okay. What was I talking about? Cartoons. Anyway, 
from blessed to banish, the blessing of Pharaoh. We see many years later when Moses had grown up. Now the second thing that happens in his life is the balance is shifted. Exodus chapter two, verse 11 through 15, we see the story of Moses who is practice, his practice is to walk around and hang out with his people. The Bible tells us that he went out one day to visit his people and he saw how hard they were forced to work and during his visit he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what he did. He said, what happens is he falls out of favor with Pharaoh. Pharaoh tries to track him down and kill him. You see, Moses was in a comfortable place. He was in a place of education and growth. But God was in the process of reminding Moses of his roots. And he's used the circumstances that were going to follow to direct his steps, to project him forward, to propel him toward his destiny. A time of comfort and luxury for Moses was coming to a close. What we find is this personal wilderness that lies ahead. What if I were to tell you that even in your most wilderness-like moments, there can be blessing? If you're in that spot, then that should be an encouragement to you today in Exodus chapter 2. We see the blessing of the wilderness. I don't have time to read it, but I'll just share with you what happens. He runs from Pharaoh. He finds himself in the wilderness called Midian, another area. When he's in Midian, he defends these ladies who are the daughter of a man named Jethro. Some translations say Ruel. He defends them because they're being um, taunted by shepherds. Then he's welcomed into this home. He's given a job. He finds a wife named Zipporah. And for the next 40 years, we find uh, Moses living in this new place. He had gone from royalty in Egypt to the life of a shepherd. Why? Because when we look at Moses' life as a whole, the rise and fall of Moses, friends, he needed every life experience, he needed every part of his life to come together and it was preparing him for his assignment that he wouldn't experience until later in life, but God was accomplishing his plan. There was blessing in the wilderness that prepared him. I imagine if I could be so bold that while he was in Egypt, he probably didn't walk around all that much. But when he got to Midian, he got his walking legs under him because God was calling him to lead the wilderness wandering of the Israelites. I imagine when he was in Egypt, he did not know how to use a staff. But when he got to Midian, the staff was with him all the time, and it was the thing with him all the time that God used to perform the miracles back in Egypt when he came back. You see, God does not waste 
our time. And as soon as we realize that even if we're in a place, in a position, experiencing something that's not all that fun, God's using it to prepare you for what's next. Amen? There's blessing in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 2, we see the conclusion of this part of Moses' story. Verse 23, it says, years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on, his people of, on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. This is the year of the promise for greater life. There are promises that the Lord has laid in my heart and my life. There's promises that I know he's put in yours. Be reminded that God hears your prayers and will do what he has to do to accomplish what he has said. Today might be the time to act in the spirit realm. Let faith arise and get ready for a miracle. Something is going to shift for you. God had a plan that Moses would be sent to deliver his people. He had a plan before Moses was even born. He had a plan before the Israelites even suffered in slavery. But God will always accomplish his plan. And you know what my, my Bible says? That the plan is Jesus is coming back to call us home. Amen? So even when you look around and you realize, I heard Eric Williams, who many of you know, this past Wednesday night said a very profound quote that I thought was awesome. He said, if you know Jesus, then this life is the only hell you'll ever know. He said, but if you don't, then this life is the only heaven you will ever know. I want you to experience Jesus. But not just to experience from being in the room. It's not about hearing the preaching and saying that was good. It's about walking in a life and in a way where he is, your, he is in charge. So many of us want him as Savior, and we forget we need him as Lord, as King. We need him to be in charge. All the stuff that you find comfort in is nothing compared to the power of the Holy Spirit. You may be in here today. You find yourself in a challenging place. Let me end with this illustration. For many years, they, on the West Coast, tried to figure out a way to ship codfish and keep it fresh to the East Coast. They tried and tried and tried. They tried everything. They tried different containers, different mixtures of water, the environment, putting di different foods in there while this fish is shipped from one coast to the other. They tried it all and nothing would work. And one day, an old fisherman told them, put a catfish in there with the codfish. They thought, why? Because the catfish is the enemy of the codfish. 
So we've tried everything, we'll try it. They put the container in there, they put the codfish in there, and they drop a catfish right in there with it. On its way from the west coast to the east coast in this container, and the shipping routes, it gets to the east coast and the restaurants that receive the order. Call back with enthusiasm. We don't know what happened, but the codfish are finally alive and full of vigor. Which, by the way, thanks for the catfish. Moses was in a comfortable place. God disrupted his life to put him on the trajectory that he called him to be. Sometimes you find yourself in a place where God allows a catfish to be dropped in there with you to bring you back to a place where you're moving in the spirit and fully alive. Trials and tribulations should always drive us to Jesus. Don't ever let your hand go up in anger to the God of the universe. He knows what he's doing. He loves you and he's willing. Thank God. He's willing to allow things to happen to bring you to full potential in him. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that we've had to hear your word. I pray that we would be stirred within that we would walk out of here leaning in to the promises that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to walk in the favor that only you can give. And I pray, I pray in Jesus' name, if there is one in here today that does not know you yet as personal Lord and Savior, may they lean in, may they respond, call on your name this very day, because today is a day of salvation. Before we leave, I would be disobedient if I didn't give that opportunity. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may have prayed a prayer at some point along the line, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus today. You may have wandered from him. You may have never had a relationship. You only said a prayer. If you're here today and you want to make that commitment to Jesus, I'm simply just going to ask you to stand right where you are and I'm going to pray and you're going to pray with me. Go right now. I'm not going to wait long. Right now. Amen. So Lord, by the testimony of the room today, I thank you. I thank you that by their own testimony, they are committed to you. They have a relationship with you. So now, Lord, I pray that you would accomplish much within us. Use us as agents uh, uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Send us out, Lord, like a mighty army to do great things for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We will see you at family night, Wednesday night. Remember, we have a members meeting. God bless.